All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and uh, finally, after a long time of phone tag, what a, a, probably over a year of phone tag on it, um, getting to sit down and, and chat with my buddy from uh, Southeast, which is barely still in Alaska, Jesse Knock. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How you doing? Not too bad. I did say that right. It's not Kanak, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> Just like knocking the door. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, Jesse, uh, you live you live in Prince of Wales now, don't you? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's crazy because I'm I don't know being an interior guy, it's just a totally complete. I like living in living in a different world basically, but you're still in Alaska. Um, just a whole different set of cool shit you get to do all the time. <laughs> yes, it is. It's uh, pretty blessed down here. Pretty rich with wildlife and uh, fish and. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I've only been up that way one time, and uh, I can't really imagine living anywhere else. Yeah, you're right another, where I'm at. Yeah, you're another one of them Delta sheep guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, got lucky actually the first time I put in for that tag, uh, and uh, didn't know much about it. Just knew it was a pretty good tag. I honestly looked at the odds and was thinking, "There's a lot of people that put in for this, and not very many tags. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put in for it." I was pretty new to Alaska. And, yeah. Uh, w- woke up that morning is actually when they were on top of sending emails out oh, for man. the draw. I think it was the first <laughs> year and I got it super early in the morning and, uh, man, I couldn't even sleep. Couldn't go back to sleep, had to work and uh, it, it was great. Yeah. As hap as awesome as that is, I still kind of hate you for it. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember that you got, cause that was, that was quite a few years ago. Now I remember like seeing pictures, pictures from your hunt. There was a little, sh- it wasn't that, you know, wasn't, I don't know how to describe it because you know I don't want to make it sound bad, but you got a pretty you you got it pretty good on that that hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a uh, man. Pretty much every drainage we went up into um, and got back where the sheep live at, there was something pretty special in each one of those. Um, so yeah, that tag is pretty special, you know. And I didn't know anything about sheep hunting, and uh, I remember I think it was like day four or five, and we're stomping around and had some rams already spooked out from us from another group of hunters. And, uh, I called my buddy and he's a big sheep hunter. Yeah. I'm saying, and he goes, how many legals have you seen so far? And, and I remember, I think at that time I, I had seen six oh, and he man. was like six legal rams already. He was just, you know, you're, yeah. you're crazy. Quit, quit bumming out. You'll find one here real soon. And, uh, yeah, it took till day seven, but yeah, I ended up finding a dandy. Um, yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah. And that's all. I mean, it's super special like that area i've never had the tag but getting to hunt that area just the amount of rams in there and legal rams it's pretty impressive i mean a lot of a lot of over-the-counter hunts you can still get sheep no problem but you're talking like seeing you know if you see more than a handful of legal rams you're doing pretty good yeah yep exactly Yep. So that's what he told me and kind of kept confidence in the hunt. And, uh, yeah, I ended up hiking a big, I think, I think that one was like five and a half miles from pavement. So, uh, it wasn't that tough. We, uh, <laughs> yeah. after about seven days of, of trying it, we finally found one and, um, we saw him with a little banana head ram way up top back into a Canyon, um, to the back end of it. And, uh, I, 
it was so far off we in so steep country i thought we were just looking at him we kind of laughed and i go let's throw this fog scope on him and just kind of see what he is we didn't even think we can make a play on and i looked at this bottom scope and was like wow he's uh broomed and he's very heavy and we laughed and just kept eating meal and i and i told my friend Bo at the time man if he makes it down this rock face and goes down here to this and blah 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 down to this we can make a play on him yeah. we laughed and uh we sat there and ate and sure enough that thing it was like a it was textbook exactly what i wanted him to do it's oh, kind of crazy man. to think about it to this day he came all the way down all the way down to the elevation we're at just across a steep canyon and i ended up getting to 243 yards from nice. him, i think and uh put one right across the canyon from pretty much level across and uh yeah i took like three shots and he actually ran down and ended up dying to a creek ravine oh, right below us and which was the creek we had to hike out of so oh you can't, yeah. can't beat that <laughs> no it was actually pretty cool i got it on film and my friend was filming and uh he, he dropped right there and we camped on him and uh hiked out the next day and had uh buffalo burgers at that place there in delta oh, yeah. junction i can't remember the, the, the little well, that, but I, uh, I can't even keep track of what because it was buffalo diner down there i don't know all what's what's still running down there lately i think the last time when i came out of there with my buddy frank we uh we ate breakfast at one of the places because it was like eight o'clock in the morning because we got back to the road at like 11 30 10 miles from where the truck was so we had to hitchhike the next morning basically frank had to go block trap like jump out in traffic to get someone to stop but uh yeah i'm envious that that uh, sounds like it was a great hunt. Ours was ours was fantastic too, but it was it was not fun getting him out of there. I mean, we shot him like twenty six or twenty eight miles from the from where we the you know walking route back to the road. Huh. But uh, yeah. So anyway, all yeah, you and all my all my. I swear, I know more people with the Delta tag this year than without it. Like it's in my circle of buddies. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. So I may end up going by myself. I'm like. Yeah, I don't, there's not really anybody, anybody like that I would go hunting with that I trust or that doesn't have that Delta tag or a draw tag. Yep. So I can't complain drawing Toke the last year though, but anyway, no, yeah, man. man. Um, so I guess, and I don't know, like some of this is new for me. What's, uh, what's a little bit of your background? I mean, you and I started chatting, I don't know what, five, six years ago. And you were yeah. already you were already yeah. in Southeast at that point. Were you were you not from down there? Uh, no, I actually grew up in Washington State, and, and uh, I, I I met a girl down there growing up and got together with her. And she was actually from Prince of Wales Island, and she'd go back and forth um, from her mom and her dad's. Nice. And uh, we we ended up getting married, and for a honeymoon uh, vacation present, her dad bought us tickets to Prince of Wales Island. Actually, Wrangell. Oh. And uh, we flew into Wrangell, and he picked us up in uh, in his aluminum, you know, like charter style boat, southeast yep. type boat. And on the way back, we halibut. I caught silvers. We saw uh, velvet bucks on the beach. This was July, and uh, this was not even to Prince of Wales yet. This was actually crossing Clarence Strait, just yep. around that area. And then when we got back, it was just. Uh, I had never seen anything like it. And where I grew up on the coast of Washington by Mount St. Helens, it's pretty, it, there's a lot of timber. It's yeah. thick. It's really thick vegetation, Roosevelt elk, you know, everybody hears about that. But um, this is just on another level. It's just extreme thick, extreme everything. And I saw a black bear the first day. I saw velvet bucks, halibut, like I said. 
And I thought to myself, man, how does a guy, how does a guy make a living on this Island? And I, I framed houses at the time. I was yeah. a construction worker and the housing market kind of got slow. And I went home and decided with the family, his family decision that we were going to make the move to Alaska. And nice. we kind of had a hold in, like I said, my wife at the time, um, had some family. So we, I started scratching around online, started going back to school for, uh, fish hatchery work. I love working with mm-hmm. salmon. I love fishing. I love anything to do with fish. So I started going back to school for that. And I saw, I looked online and found a job at a hatchery for an organization up here. I work for now called uh, Burnett Inlet, the hatchery there. Nice. And I applied for it and it's so remote and so wild that they can't really get people unless they're very wild like us that like oh, that yeah. type of stuff, adventure, you know. And I sent my application on a Tuesday, and he called me on a Wednesday, and I flew up on a Friday. Nice. And I never and I never went back. And nice. I we moved my entire family up after that. Um, and I've been here ever since. I was 2010, and um, I didn't begin to scratch the surface here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so crazy. oh yeah, yeah, man. It's just you know, it's it's unbelievable. Well, and, and it's I don't know, it's. I love the interior, but in some ways, that I mean, the that southeast and especially like the areas you once you get banging around in there, there's so much there to do. I mean, there's a lot to do here too. It's just it's just different and like a seems like a lot more concentrated type of stuff. It's like, yeah, you want to go fishing today? We'll go fishing today. We'll go shoot a bear, do this, or go deer hunt. You know, everything's just jam packed yep. into this tight little spot. I mean probably at least from my very limited experience you know like if it's anything like around a fognac and kodiak it's like you got can be phenomenal hunting and you know just unbelievable fishing and all that stuff like right there like yeah i mean i don't even know where to start because you're such a kind of all-around guy i guess you know starting winter time i keep threatening to come down there and go steelhead fishing with you you guys yep you're big into that. I mean, you're doing that almost every day in the winter. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my dad growing up fishing, that's why I love my job so much at a fish hatchery. My dad held steelhead fishing very high. Yeah. And I remember getting up my whole life, uh, there at the the coast of Washington state, right by Mouse and Helens. There's lots of tributaries with just good runs of steelhead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just having that in your blood from day one, coming to Prince of Wales or just Southeast in general, it doesn't have to be Prince of Wales Island. There's steelhead the entire coast. Um, but it is the best of the best. Um, you know, like yeah. it, my dad's not with us today, but I always think I would love to be up on the river, kicking his ass up and down the river now because yeah. growing up with him, he would just smoke me with spinners and different techniques of steelhead. And I was young to not know. And now I know some different techniques yeah um, and where to go it's just you know you're bummed when you're not getting a double digit day put it that way when yeah, you're not that's... catching you know 10 plus steelhead uh my wife here at home i come home in the, a while back and and uh she goes oh you don't look very happy or some sort like that and i was like oh i only got like three steelhead today <laughs> and it was like a kind of an off day and and she goes oh only three steelhead bummer and kind of made it sound and i really thought about it and was like wow, you are very lucky to go, you know, and, and each one of those were chrome bright. Each one of them were just, you know, a mile within the ocean. Yeah. So, I mean, one, that, that fish is just very special. Oh yeah. Well, and I don't, I don't know much about steelhead fishing, at least from what you hear, you know, like a three, four fish day would be pretty, pretty awesome in a lot of lower 48 spots, you know, wouldn't it? 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, that's a that's a great day. And, and and honestly, even here, I just you take it for granted. Even here, that's a great day if you yeah. can go catch three steelhead. They're so finicky fish. Huh. Um, it's all on the water conditions. Here, it's got to yeah. be rainy. If the drought, like we've been having, pretty warm, low water, it's pretty tough on them. When they're spawning, when it's low water, they're in survival mode. They don't really want to do much to bite your lure, chase it. Um, when when everything's optimum in the river with good flow and oxygen levels are just great, man, those things will chase your lure across huh. the river. It is just, you know, and then obviously acrobatic fighters, it's just, they're the whole package deal. You know, yeah. the only thing is you got to, it's all catch and release here. Yeah. Um, and I grew up bonking steelhead my entire life. I grew up eating hatchery steelhead. That's one yeah. of my favorite meals, but here, uh, I hold them so high. It's, it's a sin to even take them out of the water to me. And, and I love that. I just, um, it's precious. I want my kids to enjoy it here, you know? Oh yeah. I want to continue. So, well, and the nice thing is that there's no, there's no shortage of eating fish down there either. <laughs> No, and I work at a hatchery, you know, so and, yeah. and it wouldn't even matter if I didn't work at a hatchery because every stream has silvers, you know, there's a couple hatchery runs of, of Chinook salmon here, um, you know, that's really the only ones I want to eat other than the sockeye. Yeah. Sockeye are the best, but there's been a somewhat of a shortage in southeast of sockeye. Um, there's traditional fishery subsistence, so I kind of just, you know, let that, you know, let people subsist off that. So. Yeah, totally. Do you guys have uh, cutthroats running down there, like those mm-hmm. famous sea run cutthroats? Yeah, yeah, we do, but uh, those are fun, but I like the resident cutthroat, the, yeah. the big ones that are the lake I work in, um, Kluwak Lake on Prince of Wales, it's just loaded with big cutthroat, um, and it's great, you just throw a spinner out, and I mean, you're talking 20-inch, um, couple pound Those are Those just, are big cutthroats, because don't they... Oh, it's awesome. Don't they not live near as long as, like, rainbows and a lot of other trout species? Y- you know, I don't think so, They're, you know, but I'm not honestly sure the age class on that. I think, a, you know, steelhead take two to three years before they go to the ocean. Gotcha. And then there's a, you know, there's... They can be two salt fish. They can come back. So um, it all depends on the feed situation and you know, yeah. what the fish is feeling. So it's cool about them. Yeah, it's... But there's some old ones. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I remember, you know, growing up in Colorado, cutthroats were about the only... I mean, we ate little... A lot of them are stalker fish. It's just a totally different world and new level of spoiled being up here. But I always remember really liking cutthroats when I was when I was down there. And, I mean, here north of the Alaska Range, there's no wild trout except... You know, I think once you get out closer to the ocean and up north, you get some char and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's pretty – even I say it's slim pickings around here. If you want to go – there's some spots that if you want to go smash grayling, you know, in little creeks, I mean, you can just catch them till you're sick of catching them. I mean, I – yeah, I can't say we're not spoiled. I, I don't know about you, but it's like I, get, I start getting pissed if it's like two or three casts without a fish. It's like, this bullshit. We got to move. <laughs> oh, know, yeah, not Exactly. Yep, I know a certain time of year, a certain hole for steelhead. Anyways, I can go there and make a certain drift with a with a float and a jig, yeah. like a marabou or schloppen jig, pink, and uh, that is the color. If you can drift that just right, the presentation it's huh. it's game over every time for them. Man, <laughs> it's that's pretty. It's pretty fun. Yeah, that, highly suggests the trip. Yeah, that's cool. We uh, I haven't. My buddy and I were out doing trying to do some king fishing the other night. They're getting a little sloppy by the time they get up here, but if you get them right at the mouth, they make pretty decent smoking. And there was definitely fish around, but we need to be we needed to be fishing bait, and we were fishing wiggle warts and stuff. And hooked hooked up one, but I ended up losing him. So 
was pretty pretty bummed out. Nothing like you guys got down there. And silvers, I've had, as much as I've been to Kodiak and a Fognac, I've never fished silvers or been there when they're running heavy. And that's kind of another whole nother ball game too, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, they're fun fish. That's what we uh, primarily raise at our hatchery. And yeah. that's at the Cloac River Hatchery. That's all we raise is coho, 4.8 million. Yeah. And release them right there in the estuary, which is like a mile from the hatchery. Nice. And like last year, our, I think our we harvested 70-something thousand at the hatchery. And then our organization is primarily set up for commercial fishermen yeah. to catch our fish in the ocean for, you know, for a nonprofit. So they take the biggest chunk out of our fish. But yeah. you can walk across the river on Chrome Bright uh, Coho. And, I mean, it's when you say, like, you cast the spinner, it's hard to not hook a back of one trying yeah. to get one to bite, you know, because yeah. it's just it, it's so thick. So it, it's cool to see that type of benefit in a small island like this. You see everybody down there filling the freezers and everybody's having a good time, yeah. high-fiving, and um, it, it's a good time of the year. Well, and I imagine the nice thing is it's fairly, it's a lot more isolated. It's not like combat fishing on the Kenai or something, you know. It's just, it's it takes a lot more to get there so you don't get near the crowds, you know. So that, that would kind of spoil it for me. I just, I can't stand that kind of, you know, I can't stand combat fishing or hunting. <laughs> yeah, me neither. And that's the biggest thing, you know, here is there's so much country, you know. And you'll, you'll see guys, you know, you'll run into people, that, you know, non-resident hunters or, or non-island hunters that come here just because it's an island. But yeah. for the most part, you could find your own little little spot where you won't see anything and and uh you get far enough back the animals probably haven't seen anybody you know like you blow the deer call yeah. deer comes running and never seen anybody you get out there in the springtime big boar you know he probably hasn't seen very many people at all so that you know it's yeah. uh, it's pretty lucky yeah and living there i guess you you probably like living anywhere you get a feel for how everything works and is do you, you guys get quite a few because uh, quite a few you know, off islanders in general and out of staters come, come hunt there. I, I mean, I know. Well, it's funny. I don't know how to say this without pissing somebody off. But you know, like being a local, you're you're going to get like a little miffed or annoyed when people are crowding your areas, so to speak. That being said, you know, like I want to go hunt other places too. So there's a give and take to it. But uh, it seems like like Prince of Wales just. Like every other podcast, somewhere, oh, Prince of Wales, this Prince of Wales, that. Do you like see a bunch of traffic like that? Is that like are those like the guys you laugh at when they show up on the ferry? And <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's a there's a few people that you know, and it's an island, it's small towns. There's yeah. only groceries in so many towns and gas so you really see people. But um, honestly, I don't have a problem with people coming out. Like I, I found Alaska by being a tourist too, and yeah. this place is. It, I can't believe I'm living here. I, yeah. I'm so blessed to live here. And, and to, to want to take that away from people or have that closed mindedness to where you don't want people to visit to do that. Yeah. They're putting money back in the economy. Oh yeah. You know what I mean, they're buying gas, they're buying food, they're seeing, you know, that's a hub. They're going to spend more people, send more people. And, uh, for a small Island like that, it needs it. It needs to thrive on stuff like that. Oh and, yeah. And honestly, if, if I'm back in somewhere and a guy comes up on me, I'm going to high five him honestly, because he's earned it too. I know how far back I've Yep. In, and we're both into the same thing, you know, and, and I was raised to be respectful of the fellow hunter. Like it doesn't, if we came back to the same area, we're probably on the same track at right. What's going on, you know? And, and I always figured out hunters always kind of congregate in the same type of area, especially on Island. You see creeks, you see drainages, basins, and it's going to attract people and yeah. you're going to, you're going to see people. And for the most part, I've, I've 
anything I, anybody I met on the island has just been great. You know, Good. even the non-residents, they're so thankful. You know, and just yeah. everybody has a great time. You know, you can go one direction, your buddy can go the next direction, and you're going to see stuff that both of you won't see together, and you're going to have the time of your life. You know. Um, oh yeah. So, I, I, you know, it, maybe, it, it, it does suck to see something. Yeah. You don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna. You know, it does suck, especially you know when you hike far back in, but man, I, you know, they're, they earn it too. So, well that, yeah. And I guess that maybe I, maybe I didn't say that quite right. Cause I guess there's just like a part of you that's just like, man, shit, another guy. But then, but at the same time, you're like, ah, well they, you know, just like you said, they put in the effort too. And if they're willing to do that, most of the time when you bump into people like that, it's, I've even had, you know, we've even had guys where you bump into and then like, all right, let's do a little coordinating session so we can go our separate ways and, and not interfere with yeah. each other because, I mean, no one, I'm not going to say no one, but most reasonable people that are willing to work hard for that, you know, they, they don't like seeing you as much as you don't like seeing them. So you can kind of be cordial and, and help each other out. And uh, I don't know, most people are pretty cool like that. I just thought that was curious because that's all I you know, hear, Prince of Wales, Prince of Wales, uh, you know. Yeah. Of course, I think all the deer got killed by wolves right so the deer hunting's no good so everybody should go to kodiak this year yeah yeah pretty much that's a consensus on the island you know and i didn't grow up here you know and i want to make a point that i didn't grow up here uh i'm still very new to it so i can honestly see how somebody's point of view if they grew up here and they're hunting for meat strictly they're going out there because you know they they live a very subsistence driven lifestyle here yeah and i can totally see the point to or like guys like me that do photography for companies and and are getting gear or have high dollar gear and i'm not out there for a different reason but I'm out there at the same time these guys are that grew up there and they've haunted it their whole life in the same Canyon. And they come running up on a guy like me that, you know, maybe have my video camera out and it yeah. makes it look like I'm doing something different. In reality, I'm out there filling my freezer too. I'm just, you know, I experience it a total different way to some people, you know, like I like living through photography on the hunt too. Um, yep. I like filming stuff, you know, I like, so I can see how, people that grew up here would, you know, be bummed more when they see people, you know, in their spots that, you know, they're trying to get their meat for the year. They're yeah. not trying to go kill a trophy four point buck, uh, to, to brag on their Instagram account, have these cool photos of, of products. They're out there legitimately trying to go get meat for their family. Yep. And I totally get that. The longer I'm here, I get that, you know? So, but I, at the same time, I'm me, and uh, I'm gonna yeah. do what I do, and they do what they do, and <laughs> we intermingle and mesh together. So oh yeah, it's, a, it's pretty cool. Yep, and uh, as I say, it's uh, is it August? Is August first the big day? Yeah, August first for, for is deer the big day. Yeah, and that's for uh, non-island residents. Anybody out of uh, you know off the island, but there's a federal subsistence season for island oh, unit nice. two residents that opens July twenty fourth. Nice. So it gives them an extra week. Um, a lot of people disagree with that, but it gives them an extra week to, to go up into the Alpine or drive the road system and, and take a take a, a chunk of meat before people come here, you know, and put some pressure on them. So yeah, um, well, I, I mean, I, I not knowing that country there, generally those, those Alpine type hunts take take a fairly significant amount of effort. You know, it's like almost like goat hunting, isn't it, down there where, yeah, where you it's, go? Yeah, no, it is pretty much identical to go hunting. If you go on a hunt in southeast, whether it's Prince of Wales 
Oroville Island or Sitka around that way, it's going to be the same thing on a goat hunt. They're in the steep, deep, steep, slick stuff back in the rocks. I mean, they, they, con- they eat the same stuff up there. They live in the same terrain. Um, it, it, if you want to experience a goat hunt and you don't want to put a bunch of money into that white creature up on top, go yeah. on a Sitka blacktail hunt in southeast Alaska, and it will show you what it takes mentally, uh, physically, gear-wise, everything to, to get tailored into that type of hunt because uh, – it, they'll they'll uh, show you. <laughs> oh yeah, it's well, and those <laughs> and those big and those big velvet bucks are so pretty. Oh man, I, I to me, uh, I grew up with blacktail on the coast, and and it's a different creature up here, a Sitka blacktail, but it's a blacktail, and there is no other creatures. Um, I haven't hunted everything in Alaska, but there is no other creature other than an elk coming into a call. We we're bow hunting, and they're coming in. That gets me excited as a big Sitka blacktail does, uh, especially when you see something big, mature, like a big four point, like a, you know, um, something about those just gets you, gets you, oh yeah, gets me wild anyway. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this the Sitka Blacktail, just the Alpine hunt. That's coming up right now, actually. About a gear bomb going off in my living room every day now, trying to fine-tune everything. And, yeah, um, I need to get on that. I'm a little... Well, the past few years I've been, for sheep anyway, I've been severely procrastinating it to the last couple of days. And I don't know, I have most of the gear I need. It usually just takes a couple trips to town to round things out. But taking my bow this year, I do need to get on it because i got to work some things out as far as you know packing arrow tubes and my bow and all that stuff so i definitely definitely feel your pain although it's it's exciting man i don't know about you i get i don't know i get more stressed about it the past few years until i actually go and then i'm super excited i remember the days of like packing having a gear pile starting at like the end of may but <laughs> that's pretty exactly i remember you know having to have uh just everything fine-tuned down to the very last details you know um, yeah and now i like you said i pretty much got everything um in a tote and i just pull it out and kind of tailor it to whatever season i am um, yeah. at, kind of gear up for food so yeah, yeah and it's, uh, get, it's getting close yeah and can you just shoot shoot one buck early I can uh, shoot. I can fill five tags. Oh, nice. Too early. Yeah, as a as a resident unit two, I can shoot five deer, um, but I usually shoot like four. I usually keep it to the board resident, you know, across yeah. state of Alaska. And yeah, shoot four. No, that's that's nice. So I mean, is it? And people think that's a lot of deer, but that ain't a lot of meat. <laughs> you know, one it no, takes a few of them to getting, add up. Yes, it does. It's probably forty pounds of finished meat, fifty on a big buck of, of good finished meat if you're trimming it. But yeah. you know, I, I went on an elk hunt a while ago on uh, Adelon Island, and yeah. that's a crazy wild goat chase too. That one, um, but a, a guide was there, and I never hunted with this uh, guide. And uh, this guy's name was Charlie, and he was telling me, "Whatever, if it doesn't go in your mouth, it doesn't go in your game bag." Yeah, and I used to kind of would keep some fat and stuff on the outside of the, of the boned out meat mm-hmm. to kind of keep it from crusting up. But man, we, uh, we killed that elk and we cut everything off that like legitly wouldn't go in your mouth. Wasn't going in the game bag. And we added it up and it was <laughs> a separate trip for a guy, maybe a guy and a half out as far as you could go. So it was pretty crazy trimming every bit you could right then. Oh yeah. And just throwing whole muscles into the bag, you know, that, that's the, kind of showed me a bunch that day yeah well and i and i've just had that you know that tough guy i'll pack it you got me still all right sorry we had my computer is tweaking out anyway um we uh 
Yeah, I just had a conversation. I remember who it was with the other day about, you know, like really far sheep packing. And most of the time, well, A, you you don't want waste. And it's, it boils down to time. Like, I don't want to deal with that right now. But really, like, you know, with some like sheep or, man, you could really get it down on a deer if you took the time to do that and cut that meat up like it's ready to throw in the package. Although I, you would want to take pictures of, what you're doing i'm sure because everyone would accuse you of of wanting waste if you if you really went through the effort to trim it down to exactly what was going in your packaging you know trimming out tendons and all the extra stuff you know you'd want to be careful about that but that would be a great way to to slim it down for sure yep yep but all i think depends on your time frame that you have to get out um and the time that you have when you killed it sometimes stuff rolls in a nasty hole and i want to get out of there as fast as oh, i can yeah. when you're on a steep you know hole and so i throw everything in the game bag and just kind of bomb up so yeah and speaking of nasty holes you yeah and like goat hunting on a deer hunt you took a pretty was that two or three years ago you took a pretty nasty spill packing out uh, a deer. <laughs> yeah, i knew that would come up uh yeah i think it's been like uh three years ago now um but yeah i uh was hunting out of ketchikan and uh it was opening day and it was actually up in some goat country i actually had a special goat tag the deer mountain goat tag and it's just a that's a really special tag but i was up scouting looking around for some velvet bucks i've i've seen a few in there and uh it was real foggy real slick that day and kind of slipped up into an area i seen some velvet bucks before and sat there about an hour and looked down and sure enough there they were long story short i ended up shooting one of them and um wasn't positive on my descent getting down to him yeah um so i ended up having to take a, a different way to where i would go down to it made it about i don't know 100 feet down the slope and uh <laughs> sorry dude oh. um, i started just side hill and i knew right then that i couldn't i wasn't going to go any further down it was getting to where it's dropping off yeah and um this area that i was in was huge cliffs all the way around it's crazy you wouldn't even believe me if i huh. if you've seen a picture from the outside of where i tried to go down i mean i should slap myself for even trying it right now but i started going down it and then i realized i wasn't going to make it any further so i uh, froze up and i started side healing and there was a clump of uh, scrub brush uh that was probably about 50 yards away that was heading back up the mountain. I figured, man, if I can make it to that clump of brush, I'll be able to scratch up this side and just pull myself up through the bushes and get up to the top of the the ridge. And, uh, I think on my third cross step going across the mountain and take it, I had crampons and trekking poles on, but it's so, it's so slick here and steep that you break free. There's not really much that's going to stop you. So on the third step, I broke free and started sliding down, and um, I was clawing the mountain trying to get anything I could to, to stop myself. And I, I, was, I had Gore-Tex rain gear on, and that's yeah. like a garbage sack on grass, yeah. you know. So I just started sliding like crazy. And I went off the first embankment, and I flew, I don't know, probably four or five feet vertical, just a small rock. And I went off that. And when I hit, I landed on my back, and it kind of disorientated me. I almost got knocked out. And I didn't, know, I didn't really know where I was or what was happening at that point. 
and I remember the only thing I remember was hitting my face on a rock. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at, at the time, it, you know, the pain wasn't there, but I could, I remember rolling down the hill further, just thinking, "Oh, that's not good. That's like, not going to be good. Face pretty, that's not going to be good." I remember hitting it that hard, man. So then I, I passed out um, right then, just rolling down the hill. I don't remember where I stopped or how long it took me to stop, but I woke up and I was laying in a in some water. And I was laying, luckily, um, face up. Uh-huh. And I was wet in a creek. And I remember thinking, man, why are you wet? What's going on? Why am I wet? And I kept feeling myself. And then all of a sudden, I kind of started getting everything back and realizing what happened, you know. And, and um, I put my hands up to my face, you know, because I knew my face. And right when I put my hands up, my it was just pumping blood like crazy you know i i uh ended up breaking my maxilla facial like my skull and yeah. broke three front teeth out but it just it hit some type of vein there that was pumping oh, some good man. blood out so i end up you know i called for help for a second you know i had no cell phone on me it was out of cell phone service there you know it was just far enough back to where nobody was going to find me i yeah. told my my wife where i was going to be somewhat um and i started hauling for help kind of disorientated then i realized that you're the only person that's going to get out of here, you know, and I kind of got enough sense to tie. I had a Moreno wool shirt in my backpack and I got that out and I tied it on my face yeah. and I tried to plug up my mouth as much as I could. And then I just started <laughs> bombing, scratching right. up the hills as, uh, as hard as I could. And I, I got up to the top of the mountain and what it was bleeding so bad and I was panicking that I literally thought that I was probably going to bleed out. I didn't know what was going to happen. Boy. So what my goal was, was just to at least make it till the top of the trail, get up to where the top of the ridge where somebody could find you. If you pass out, that yeah. was my first goal, get up there, you know, boom, get up top and then everything can go from there. So I get up top and I make it and I'm still pretty coherent, but my ankle is kind of getting pretty sore. Mm-hmm. So I start walking a little further, a little further and my ankles really getting sore. And there's a cabin up top this mountain. And I wanted to make it to the cabin because it's kind of a, a tourist attraction. I figured, man, somebody could, you know, maybe they got a radio, maybe they got something to get me out of here. And this is before I had my in reach. Yeah. So I had no communication. So I start walking a little further and I ran into a couple and they were like, just terrified of me. I had yeah. like dirt, dirt claws in my mouth and yeah. talking, you know, and they're like, what is going on? And and I was embarrassed. Um, I honestly didn't really want them to to mess their day up by having to get me down the three and a half mile trail to the pavement where I parked at. Yeah. So I, I at the time my ankle wasn't that you know it didn't hurt that bad. So I was still limping, try to go a little further. And then another couple, I met them, and by the time I met them, I couldn't walk on it. I was like using my gun as a crutch, and I was just kind of dragging it because it was it was pretty badly oh, broken. Man. And I got, I met that couple of men and like saving grace, good bless that they were a nurse. They were a couple, both of them are nurses and they oh, were from wow. the lower 48 and they were working at the Ketchikan hospital and they laid me down and like, you know, I checked for going into shock and she opened up my boot and was like, Oh, it's broken immediately. And she's laced oh. it back up and she goes, don't take the boot off because it's going to swell up too big. She goes, you need to keep it on. So we ended up making some phone calls. I got to a little patch of service right there. They went me down to this landing where a helicopter could get to. And um, a float plane pilot that we fly out of Ketchikan called Alaska at Ryan McHugh, Alaska Seaplane Tours. Great guy, great pilot. Highly recommend him. He's got a helicopter business, too. And, and I saw him flying around the mountain earlier that day. And I thought, man, I'm not calling the Coast Guard. Yeah. You know, I'm calling I'm calling my friend Ryan. He could pick me up in his helicopter. And we got through to him. And oh, he man. said, uh, and he goes, I'll be there in a half hour. And he dropped his clients off and bombed straight to me. And um and, and pick me up right then, you know, and, and at the time I called my friend to come pick my gun and my backpack up, 
uh, so we went and had it in a helicopter. He brought, he drove me straight down to the hospital. My wife, Ashley was there waiting for me. Um, and yeah, I ended up having a broken ankle, bruised up all over, broke my fingernails, trying to scrape the mountain yeah. as I was caught, you know, and then broke my face pretty bad. Had to have Man. two facial reconstruction surgeries on the front half. And now I have a, a partial, uh, denture, you know, yeah. right now, uh, until it heals fully until I can put my post in for oh, my gotcha. you know, permanent replacement teeth. Well, so. you're looking well. You're looking pretty good, considering. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't think I fell down like that, but no, no I, it's just. I always think back. It's kind of crazy to think that I didn't go off a bigger cliff. There was a ton of them. Yeah, and and the the chances of me falling on a ledge and was able to stop without rolling, I, I was out. I wouldn't even have known if I would have fallen off a cliff. It was over for me yeah. when I passed out. I you know to think about it this day, but um, it's a learning experience. It, it's. Uh, you know, it's maybe a ton mentally tougher. You know, there's not really much that, you know, kind of scared. I don't put myself in situations like that. That's the biggest thing, you know. Yeah, that's uh, that's nuts, man. Um, never having been in near that that imminent a situation. I mean, you wake up like that. It's it's interesting to hear you describe like how your your thought patterns are, and it kind of, you know, a lot of people would like would have no idea or completely fall apart. I mean, just kind of sho- shows like the mental toughness and acuity to be like, all right, you know, this is not a good situation, and what am I going to have to do? Even like, you know, you're talking about figuring you're going to bleed out. Well, I got to try to get to a spot where someone's going to find me. You know, you know. That's- yeah, you know, because the country's so broken up that they will. They won't find you, you know, and, um, it, you know, they do a good job search and rescue here, but, uh, it'd be a tough one. So that, you know, I think goals are good for anybody, you know? Oh yeah, for sure, man. So that's, uh, yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> Didn't mean to like bring that up, you know, as the novelty <laughs> thing to bring up, but yeah, that I mean, it just shows how, how steep and nasty a lot of that country down there is. I haven't seen that. I say that not having seen most of it. But when you, you know, trekking poles and crampons and you still go, I imagine it's like some spots where that vegetation gets so soppy and just sloughs off. Is that kind of what happens? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I, there was a seat coming out of the mountain and it was just a small little, you know, crag in the, in the mountain. It was real wet. That's exactly what happened. I was trying to cross that and... Um, yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. But I don't much know. People can uh, learn from my dumbass experience of, of just, you know, biting off more than I can chew and shooting that deer. Um, yeah. And actually, I want to add this to it. The the guy that hiked up and got my backpack and gun, uh, one of my best friends, Matt Allen, he uh, lives in Ketchikan. He hiked up the next day and got my deer. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yes, and, and, and he went around the way I should have, and it, would have t- it took him all day to, to circumnavigate around to come up from the bottom, but he did, and got my deer, and uh, what a guy, huh? He brings a yeah. boned out sack of meat to my porch, and I was still in a cast laying there, like, you know, so. <laughs> sipping, was, I just sip, got released from the sipping hospital. Sipping jello through a straw or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, that's what it was uh, a joke with us. It was backstrap milkshakes. Yeah. That's what he told me. Was, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Up. But yeah, needless to say, that was a, that was a scary deal, and you know, I'm definitely definitely glad to to see you back at it, and it doesn't seem to have have dissuaded you. I was going to ask you too. Uh, do you have? Are you going goat hunting at all this year? Because that's that's another big big passion of yours. Yeah, you know, uh, living in Ketchikan, it's pretty blessed to have some good over the counter goat spots right behind the island. 
Um, and then obviously the island of uh, Rivilla Gagato, Ketchikan, the town, there's a really good draw tag right in town, kind of like equivalent to like a Delta or yeah. a Toke sheep tag. There's a really good tag there and uh, pretty tough to kill a goat, pretty rugged country, but a good tag. And um, there's a couple good buddies that drew some tags this year on those special hunts. And, and it's like a, I always call it the Disneyland tag. It's, um, you know, you're going to see some very mature animals and, um, a lot of times they're in pretty good spots. You got to get far back in there, but there's some pretty good country. So yeah. there's a buddy that's got a, he wants to hunt an early tag in August, like right around the opener the 15th. And then I got another friend that's got, uh, another tag right in the same unit, but it's like a subunit of that, that wants to hunt it in October. And oh, nice. both of these guys have both. What's crazy is both these guys have drawn these two tags already, and I helped both of them get goats already on these tags. So, well, and how uh, many how many tags of, have you drawn in the meantime? I one, one to go. <laughs> yeah, I drew that, but yeah, I can't say too much because I've drawn. I drew a Delta sheep tag like we talked about, yeah, and I drew yeah. the Deer Mountain goat tag. So um, that was a and 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 I had that goat tag in my pocket when I fell. And oh. I was scouting goats. I had a bunch of goats, you know, really big mature goats. I wanted a bow kill one. I wanted to get an yeah. archery kill. And so I think it was uh, two months of, it was a month of bed rest after my fall. I didn't even have teeth yet. It was a month of bed rest and then a month of, of uh, just kind of walking on my leg to get it, you know, good enough to, to go on a hike. And uh, I was so foaming at the mouth to, to fill that tag on the goat hunt. I walked up on that hunt with a, with a boot on, um, I under re- my I, hiking boot. You mentioned that. I remember now that that was the, that was when you had that tag, that goat tag and you went and killed, you know, I won't ruin your story. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a little after two months. Yeah. And I, uh, I booted all the way up the mountain, um, and got up there and I told myself if I can make it up top, you know, it's, it's doable. I wasn't going to let anything stop me. And, uh, I had full intentions of a bow killing one, but I was very, very picky. I didn't want to just shoot any goat. I wanted one of the 11 inch, bruisers that i was watching all summer um got film of and i i tried for three days with my bow and but in october all the goats transitioned from the top of the mountains down into the timberline uh rock crags and they're a lot harder to get the bigger goats anyway are a lot harder to get in within archer range they're real steep country yeah and i was real shy still to get into the steep country where those things (laughs) are leading me so uh a friend came up and um we end up to, I told him, I said, Hey, there's a really nice Billy over there on the mountainside that we watched for three days. I said, you want to make a play tomorrow? My wife and other friend had to leave that night to go back to work, but I had a couple extra days and I asked him if he wanted to, to hang out with me and go, you know, take the gun yeah. and get it done. Over yeah. there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and put, messing around and, and just go over and get that Billy. And we camped right underneath him that night. Um, you know, probably like 1500 feet elevation from where we saw him just right on the bottom. And got up that next morning and um, walked up the ridge all the way up the mountain right up to him. And he oh, ended up man. was right in the bed that he was, you know, laying that we watched him for three days. And I ended up getting about a 30-yard rifle shot on oh, him, which, so- is, which is the best part of the whole thing. Because yeah. I could have brought my bow and slam dunked him on a flat ground. But I ended up shooting with a gun, and my buddy filmed it, and he died right there on the flat. And then it took us... Uh, 11 hours or so to get him out uh, man that's... but then i couldn't I, once i got him out i couldn't walk for like three days yeah. after that and <laughs> couldn't go to work and got in trouble for my job and it was pretty it was 
worth it time. worth it though right? <laughs> it was totally <laughs> worth it <laughs> totally worth it yeah that's some sometimes some of those like all right well we'll just we'll just do it and deal with the repercussions later <laughs> Yeah, you know, and a consolation goat, a billy that I told myself, oh, I'm going to go over there and just kill this one goat. I've been watching it end up being 10 and a quarter, I think, and then five and seven eighths bases. So, I mean, like, he's oh, he's over 50. So, I mean, like, I it, it was a lot bigger than I thought. It was a, you know, whoa, it was kind of a surprise you yeah. know, goat. So well, and then was, more drama with that one. Didn't that skull disappear from your porch <laughs> or something? And then... You found it later, or someone someone found it. I know. Uh, actually, that's another goat. That's, oh. um, uh, that's one I got. That's my big big goat. I ended up getting eleven and two sixteenths Billy the year after that draw tag, and this was on an over the counter tag on the mainland. Um, I you know had a buddy that had a good spot, and he was just wanting to go up and venture, and, and took me along with him, and I ended up taking a you know that eleven inch Billy on the first day, opening day, August first, and I took a really nice three by velvet buck Man. within a hundred yards of each other, um, <laughs> on the mainland right there. And it was, it was epic. And this guy, Joe Barry, I want to give this guy a shout out. This kid packed out. Um, <laughs> he carried my deer around the mountain. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. We're back. Thank goodness, man. Going, just going along and my computer just shuts off piece of shit. Um, anyway, so we're back on <laughs> and, uh, and let's see where the heck were we? Uh, we're talking about your your super big goat, right? Yeah, I I believe so. I kind of forgot where we're at, but yeah, the the over counter eleven inch goat, the the goat I won't ever see again in my lifetime, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Pro- <laughs> probably not. But that thing, because uh, you, I remember because you you got that thing back, and the only part I really remembered of the story was you you had lost the skull, or the skull disappeared off your out of your bucket or something on your house, on your porch, or how'd that go? Yeah, I had the skull in the freezer for a while, and I finally took it out and wanted to mess around with it. Had it on top of a on top of a box, like a table and a box up on top of my porch, and let it thaw out during the daytime when I was at work, like a dumbass, and I come home and it's gone. Oh, <laughs> so I, I figured that it had to have been a neighborhood dog and I look around and, and I, I search nothing. And, and then uh, I think I even made a post on like a Facebook forum on the Island. You know, if anybody yeah. sees this, you know, like, uh, save me, you know, bring it back to this, whatever. And, um, th- th- this guy right down the road, found it and um, posted <laughs> on the posted on the local grocery store cork board old yeah. school yeah. the original facebook um that he found a you know a go ahead and was looking for the owner and he said it was very special he had been on a go honey knew that's what the best part was that he knew it was pretty special somebody would want it back yeah and um so a guy mutual friend that i know was like hey i think this guy uh wally's got your go ahead and I end up going to his house, and you should have seen the look on his face when uh, he's like, "Yes, I do." Oh man! <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, thank you, Wally. Yeah. <laughs> for that you saved me. Yeah, no kidding. That's that's a heartbreaker there, especially a goat like that. I mean, that's one of those things like like my eight foot black bear that I know I will never ever see another one of those again around here, anyway. Yeah, that's a dandy. I mean, I. And I got that when I was, and when I was eighteen, it was the second black bear I ever killed. 
and uh, had no idea what I had. <laughs> man, that's. Uh, I wish I could see one of those down here. Even. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, one man. you got, the one you got last year. That that's kind of was what I was wanting to segue into because you're. You're, that's another one of your your big passions. Obviously, it should be living where you're at, hunting black bears. Yes, but, yes, that's uh, yes, springtime. Yeah, you, Love it. you got a killer black bear last year. I mean, that thing was a giant. Yep, I did. I put in some work for that one. That was pretty much the pinnacle of almost 10 years of southeast bear baiting, bear hunting, um, just that all-around bear. Ended up green scoring a 21 and 316s. Um, he Man. was seven foot plus. I honestly didn't even measure it. It was, it was seven foot two, I think nose, a tail, so, um, just an honest right there. Yeah. And then I didn't even do paw to paw. He uh, So he would, you know, if you're going by the, the standard squaring, he would probably be right there at about eight foot, you know, based on how they normally are proportioned. Yep. Yeah. He was a, you know, like I said, I put in a ton of work for that bear. I hiked in further than I ever have for to set a bait you know I was crossing two streams to get back to this hole where I you know I knew some bears are at so um, that was really cool to see it all pay off you know on the game camera that was actually the first bear that hit that eight that year oh I put in yeah and that's what's so crazy is I put in so much work prior scouting and um, you know, just getting ready for the season that when it all paid off, it just felt really weird that it happened all of a sudden. Cause usually it never happens like that for yeah. me on a bait. Usually I got to kind of play cat and mouse with them a little bit, but Oh, uh, I know. I know all about that, man. It's, yeah. uh, well, that's, that's just something with baiting in general. You know, uh, we've talked like me and my buddies have talked a lot about how, like how like magical the first sit is and you rare, it seems like if you pick the right time to have your first sit you really you rarely have a bad one but it's just it's the the normal thing is to like you said play cat and mouse with them bear those big ones and a lot of times you don't ever end up getting them yeah exactly and that's what and that's what's so cool about bait people think it's you know it's so easy and uh it is so not there's so much work and uh, mental work and finding your spot and physical work and scouting it and baiting it. And then even when you do get a big bear to hit it, you got to keep baiting it, you know, and then you start playing the scent game with him when he smells you and he knows that you're there. And, um, you know, uh, the biggest thing is scent that that I've learned over the years is bear baiting is just the scent, like um, not being in there until you want to kill a bear. Like I, I have my routine dialed in so much now with the scent control and how I set my baits and the weather. I only hunt on certain winds, sunny days, like a North wind. I always set the baits to where, you know, if you're in there on a Southeast wind, the bears are going to spook and they're, and they're never going to come in. And then they're, then they know that you're hunting them. And then it becomes, you know, want to hunt a bear they get real smart when a bear doesn't know he's hunted. Um, even the big old 20, you know, year old bears down here, those big ones, uh, if you get the right stuff for them, uh, and the wind's good, they're going to come slipping right in. They're going to ninja right next to you, you know, and you won't even yep. hear them. That's the cool thing is here's they just appear out of nowhere. Um, like that 21 inch, that giant that I shot last year, I knew he was probably going to come in that evening. And all of a sudden I looked up and he was 25 yards away from me and, and I'm on the ground. Um, yeah, hunting that's this bear awesome. too. Like I, that, you know, I, I kill some out of tree stands. And so I kind of make it, you know, a little different now to where I usually set on the ground where it's a little more exciting and 
I looked at that thing and holy smokes, I couldn't, my heart was pounding out of my chest. <laughs> he had his nose up in the air like they always do. Like, you know, they was just sitting there sniffing and sniffing. He knew that, you know, something, you know, they, they know you're baiting them. So oh, yeah. they come in cautious no matter what. But man, I got, I started using some sand stuff a few years ago from Boar Masters out of Idaho. Yeah. And that stuff is so strong, right? It's, there's nothing like it. Once I started using using that that debating game changed like he was uh, there's a cherry smell that's my favorite there's a cherry spray yeah. and i sprayed it like crazy on the trail that i saw him you know that i knew he was coming uh in and out of yeah um and that bear was just sniffing like crazy on that stuff and boom he comes in and, and i did my best you know i got the camera dialed in right on there zoomed in fully Man. And just let him come in, and I told myself the first opportunity I get to to put an arrow on this bear, I'm gonna kill him. Because I usually let him come in and watch him for a bit, but I told yep. myself that this was, you know, this is something special. This is the one I wanted. He was a seven foot bear. He was, you know, Boone and Crockett class goal. Yep. He had a big white blaze patch on his chest. Um, he wasn't barely rubbed. The bears down here get really rubbed. Yeah, um, their paws are usually bald. Forehead rubs, chest rubs. But this one had a, a about as good as coat as you can get. Man. And, um, man, I let that arrow rip on him. You know, I think it was like 22 yards on the ground, you know, right there with him. And, and I shot him, and it was a little further back than I wanted. Kind of was like, ah, oh, man, you know. But I knew it was a pretty good shot. And I, I started setting up the blood trail and looking and looking, and no blood, no blood. And it's pretty big, open, older timber where I set this bait at down mm-hmm. on this tide flat. And I couldn't find any blood, and I started kind of doing circles back, and I couldn't find anything. And so I backed out. I, I didn't want to push this bear. I just told myself, you know what, he's in there somewhere. I get a good shot. Be confident. I went home. I called a couple bear hunting masters that I know. I think I even texted you, maybe even sent you the video clip of the kill, yeah. and was asking, you know, is this a good air replacement? And, and uh, got some confidence, you know, back into me that I put a kill shot on it. So. I got a good friend who went back down at daylight and, and they told me on the way down. He said, Hey man, did you check the trail that that bear came in on? You know, and I know he ran the exact opposite direction, but I lost sight of him when he went in the timber. Yeah. I thought, man, maybe he circled around. So I went down the trail he came in on and I got about 40 yards down that trail. And, and he even hollered, he goes, they usually die in, in stump holes, like a hole or something. And I jumped up on the first log and looked down and, and I couldn't believe my eyes. There he was like 30 oh, yards man. away down this old growth blow down you know in the shade down under there he died he tried to crawl through this it, it what's crazy about this bear is that he did he hit the same exact trail every single time coming into the bait yeah every time to the exact same stump that he came over and when i and when i came down there to i didn't even know he was on the bait i pulled the game camera chip and i didn't even know that it was him i looked on the ground and i saw footprints and they were really compressed into the ground in the same exact spots every time and i yeah. thought man, that is weird that this bear is using the same exact footprints. And I thought, maybe it's a big old one, you know? And I yeah. laughed and thought, oh, cool, yeah, it's never going to happen. And I went home and I put the chip in the in the computer and, oh, oh, my gosh, it still gets me even excited now just thinking the feeling I had when I saw that bear on game camera. Um, oh, yeah, it's... Because uh, you know, baby, how much work you put for what, it, you know, man, it's so tough sometimes. Yeah, it's it's tough and... and- I know what you mean, and sometimes those old bears, like I guess, and what you're describing is a lot of the a lot of stuff you're dealing with. with those big black bears down there is the stuff that we deal with with the grizzlies up here. Um, I mean, they're just so 
you know, like if they don't know you're there and there's nothing to tip them off you that you're there, you can get a chance at them. But man, you know, hunting the wrong wind, like I, I, I finally, well, I had before I got some of those ozonics. If if it wasn't a favorable wind, I just wouldn't even hunt. It was it was because I'd spook too many bears out of there. And those ones, I know you you spook them, you just don't ever see them again. But um, the I don't know I don't know if I had told you this the the big grizzly that I had walk under me this spring it was it ended up it was way bigger than the one I ended up killing a couple weeks later but you know I was sitting in there and I I just saw had pictures of him on trail camera and I didn't know which way he was coming in or anything and fortunately that bait um they make a ton of noise coming in there. Typically the grizzlies do, so you can have plenty of warning that they're coming. And I did, And bef- but before he had come, I was looking at the ground underneath my stand. I was like, man, it looks like a bear's been walking in those tracks right there. <laughs> and they'll do it. I mean, like, like on Kodiak and a Fognac Island and even some spots in the interior, really heavily used trails. I've seen that where it's just individual, f- the trail is footprints in the tundra. Or the moss or whatever. It's just nuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've heard of that, and I've seen pictures. And I've even seen spots in Alpine where it was a saddle on the mountain where kind of critters crossed or there was kind of defined footprints. But that was pretty cool. When I saw that, I thought that's exactly what I thought was, whoa, that, that's got to be a big bear that's doing that, you know. But I always think the first bear that hits is going to be a giant. Yeah. It's usually, a, you know, a, a good oh, one. Yeah. Down, here, down here, the average bears that hit your bait – are good bears they're 19 the average bear we kill is like 19 inch plus skulls which is so really they're all big, six yeah. inch yeah it's like a six foot bear they, i mean this danny bears you know but if you live here and and it's bait as much as i do like now i won't even set a bait until i think that there's you know something boone and crockett on there like it yeah and t- it's it's got to be on the camera for me it's got to be you know early in may is great those bears come out of the den and they're searching. So they always come down to the, the tide flats, you know, just like any type of estuary area with green grass, yep. you set baits there. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned is setting baits where bears are going to be already. Yep. It, yep. It, it, you know, like if you're setting baits, hoping that bears are going to come there. Yeah. You're probably gonna get a bear too. But man, if you set your bait down there where bears naturally go anyway, it is crazy. The amount of bears that come into your baits. And if you get a good, you know, scent product, like there's a few of them out there, um, you know, you can track a lot of bears in almost more than you want to, you know, oh, yeah. like it's hard to keep up on the, like down here anyways, it's not uncommon on in like mid May to set a bait and have a dozen plus shooter boars come in, circling the bait, looking for a, a, a you know, something to eat. Yeah, um, that's, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. That's nuts. I mean, the, you know, my main go-to bait, it usually will have about a dozen black, just black bears in general, throughout the season on there but i mean i mean and usually this year was a good year till it just shut off but uh you know i had what well, i killed two nice boars and then there was another two or three really nice one was bigger than any of them i i killed but uh you know that's like pretty exceptional when you're talking like an area where there's 12 shooter boars that end up hitting your bait <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive yeah, it is too. It's it's honestly like uh, 
it's bear baiting heaven. And I know Cameron Haynes wrote about it in his book, you know, with him and the legend Roy Roth. And that's a, a big thing of why I love Southeast and Prince of Wales so much is, is reading stories about those guys and watching film and, and seeing these huge giant black bears in this dense jungle that you have. It's just, it's unlike anything else. And, and now living here and able to set baits and know bears habits and learn bears. I mean, it's just every spring I'm looking forward to it. You know, like that's pretty much now almost my favorite season. And I think it's a, it's a combination. It's just bears in general, but it's a big one. You know, Alaska winters are tough sometimes, you know, and they're long and, you know, and when you're watching the snow melt and things are growing and going, yeah. uh, it's a good time of the year. And it's, it's perfect for black bears to be hunting right then. It's a good first hunt of the year. Good, you know, starter hunt get everything all the kinks dialed in before your real intense mountain hunts or, you know. Yeah, um, so it, it's, it's it's just nice to get out and sit in the woods in the springtime, too, you know. And, it you know, you guys down there are eh, like three, four weeks ahead of us usually because you start, you, you start getting bears in there pretty much right away once the season opens in the middle of April, don't you? Yeah, yep. I've set baits on the 15th and had of April and had bears on them by the 19th of April. I think it's the earliest like this, uh, this last year that the big bear I killed was on April 28th or 29th. Um, and that's something I learned over the years too, is it, it I always would be hot and heavy. April 15th would be the bait out. Yep. And I'd be bummed out the first couple of weeks that they wouldn't be hit, getting hit because I think this is this is the place you know. Yep, there's yep. so many black bears, it's got to be. But I kind of burned myself out. Well, now I kind of wait a little bit longer. And and when you get a little bit once the greens up and once bears start moving around, you can do your homework before the season. That's very important. Yep. Is find your spot before the bears are out, so you don't start spooking them around. You find your spot, you go set your bait. It's you know you can get it dialed into where you know you kill the bear the first night you say if the wind's good and your scent's good yeah and that's Um, you know that's why i mean i think a lot of people get the impression of it being easy but man to set up a situation where you kill that bear the first night you sit is a lot of freaking knowledge experience and work but uh it's just it's funny because you you know i always see you getting going you know and getting bear action like you know there right after the right after the opener and I don't know. I'm always chomping at the bit this time of year. There's so many guys that are up oh, April 15th, got our bear baits out. And it's like, well, yeah, you're probably not going to have bears on it for a month, you know, which really is about, you know, I, I can't say too much because I put my bait out as absolutely soon as I can get on the river. But it's still, it's still like May. Well, I shot the one May 12th this year. That's the earliest one I've ever killed. Usually it's like May 15th before the action starts picking up and then they're usually not even eaten like they haven't pushed their plugs out till almost June 1st or so and then it's like that first week 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 and a half of June is when it really gets hot usually so I mean April 15th that's a lot of, you know some guys I know do burn themselves out running and checking their bait three times a week till 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 they either get sick of it <laughs> you know, or, or June rolls around. Yeah. You know, and then, and then your big bear hits and you're not on top of it, you know? And, yep. and what I've learned here is that, you know, those big bears have to have food. They're not going to keep coming into that bait. If there's nothing there, uh, they know where to get food. They, this isn't their first time, 
first spring so if there's no food there what i've learned if it's not on it that bear will just leave and he'll go off on his merry way and, and you know you won't be or if you spook them out you know they go play somewhere else they go do something else uh so that's what i've learned it's just have all your homework have everything in a row uh my big thing like i said before scent i set baits to where so the big bears here regardless if you if they're spooked or not usually the big ones will circle if yeah. they know the bait's there and they smell you, they're going to circle just to kind of see what's going on, or they're going to let a younger bear kind of go into the bait as like a decoy. They're going to yeah. watch him, and they'll go watch it in their bear, eat on the bait, but you'll watch him. They'll be sitting back in the trees just laying there waiting for their time, and they'll circle. So now what I've learned, and it's kind of a, a go-to thing, is I set my baits where I set, where I'm the wind current, is on the edge of an opening. And what I found is those big bears don't like going out in the opening. They feel safe when they can come yeah. in from cover, real thick cover. Yeah. So I'll set right on those just those openings to where it forces that bear to come in in front of me, to where they can't go behind me. Because usually that's where I'll set the bait yep. is where the wind's blowing right in my face to where if the bear comes behind me, it's going to smell me. But if it comes where I think it's going to, you know, then I'm, it's game over for him. And that's yeah. the biggest thing is tricking that bear's nose because they know everything. They know what's going on. They know, oh, yeah. I mean, they probably know what brand of boot you wear um, from the rubber is so crazy how smart those things are sometimes but oh well it's uh, you know that that the really big grizzly that walked underneath my tree stand this spring as soon as he kind of came in and committed you know i'm like up tell myself up you're dead you know i, I just knew he was dead he, and walked under my stand and i could feel the breeze just gentle breeze on my face i'm like even though i was using the ozonics but even that, I've had them smell me sometimes, but I'm with that breeze on my face. I'm like, up. Oh, there's no way you're going to smell me. You had to walk under my stand and around. But dude, I mean, he cut he cut my tracks where my rubber boots had walked to go check my camera. Nose right to the ground. Smelled those. Turned around and walked off. <laughs> never, yep. never, yeah. <laughs> never to be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what you know and then yeah he knows and he's educated and the next time he probably isn't you know even going to come in and do a check he probably is just going to know that you know there's something that yeah he doesn't like down there and you know so. yeah but there's that's, a lot of homework that goes in before oh yeah and i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because even though we're kind of we're kind of past baiting season for this year it's still pretty relevant info i mean there's there's a lot and some of it's trial and error if you know somebody who can is willing to give you some tips on setting up. There's a lot that goes up and goes into setting up a bear bait and where you're sitting. You know, if you want to do it right, you know, stuff like prevailing winds and, and stuff like you mentioned, setting your stand up on the edge of a clearing so they can't come around behind you and wind you. Um, you know, stuff, little stuff like that makes a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. It's a learning curve. Every year you kind of learn and, and you waste gas money, you waste time. And I played games with bears for years, but I got my system dialed in now um, pretty good to where, you know, if there's a big bear in the area with a, with a good grease pad on the ground, good bacon burn yep. and some, you know, professional like a bear attractant, whether it be Boar Masters or Batum 907 out of Alaska, there's some, you know, you need to get that sent out there because then every bear is going to come in around that way. And then you probably hit on the grease pad already about you know getting that on their paws and then going out from there and yeah and that's that's the biggest attractant to other bears because they go where bears go other you know so they hit that and then they go right back to the bait and so like yeah i got another 20 inch bear before on a bait uh and it came in 
from another bear. It wasn't even on that bait. And another bear hit it. And then a day later when he took off, that big bear came in on the exact same trail that one came in. And it ended up being a, you know, my first real big bear. It was a, you know, giant. Yeah. And I played cat and mouse with that that bear too. I tried to sit on him with, with different winds. And I sat for four days in a row and never saw him on the bait. And he Man. was there every time I would leave. And what I did was I went up behind the bait way up in the trees and sat about a hundred yards off the bait in the big timber and yep. just laid there and end up just kind of killing time for about three hours. And sure enough, that bear came in on the other side of the Creek all ninja out like real slow and walking over everything. And he thought that I was gone. He thought he yeah. had to figure it out. And I ended up doing like a spot and stock on a bait yep. and snuck right down in on the backs of the bait. And that thing was, you know, right there and I killed him and it was yeah 20 and three sixteenths bear it's a huge bear. It's still probably my biggest bodied bear that I've got. Um, it was a giant. Jeez. Yeah, that's so. awesome. Yeah, it's there's definitely a lot that goes into it. I you know, and I like the grease. I do like I like some of those uh what is it like Bruins brunt from Batum nine oh seven. It's like a scent crystal that you can scatter on the ground. And mm -hmm. you know, I mean, ultimately it's it it's hard to tell the difference between what just makes you feel good about it and what and what you know whether that makes a huge difference or not um i know some some sort of scent for those bears to track off is huge though yeah exactly that's i think that's such an important thing you know um and i i'll do grease and i'll throw some type of you know scent in there i use this caramel conviction uh real concentrate and i'll throw it right in the hot grease and then i'll put that on there so then it adds a you know, another attract into the grease and then I'll spray circles around the bait. And, yeah. uh, what I do with the, with the circles around the bait is I feel like, like you said, it is what feels good for you, but I think it gives me a little more cover scent in a circular area. Like, so if that bear comes in front of the bait and, and like here it's really brushy, yeah. so you're not really going to get a shot unless the bear's right in on the bait. So a lot of times they'll be coming in out of the weeds and, and they might be trying to circle you, you know, and I think if you got that cover scent real intense, spray around the bait i think that kind of overpowers their nose and almost drowns it out to where they're just they the one thing's on their mind here is just hit that dog food oh and that's yeah. what i bait with is, is dog food and early may is better here later in may they'll start moving around a little bit where you'll get different bears but they're not like i call it slaves to to the bait yeah. if you get if you get some good bait in, in an area that bear is going to hit that thing and if there's enough protein for him to where he feels if he's filling up, man, he's going to come back again until, you know, there's a reason not. But um, I've even learned that if you don't hit it fast enough, they're going to eat on it for a few days, and then a lot of times they'll move out. They yeah. just they like to feed other spots and, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. And, well, just the timing-wise, when the bears start getting active, here's a lot closer to the rut. And I really like, even even in May, I'll, be, I'll use that sow and heat sense. And yes. that's, I mean, I, I'm fully convinced that that stuff works even early season. I mean, there's just too many times. Well, this, this year it was in the ruts, not really till early June, but you know, even this year we, the bait had not been getting hit mm -hmm. at all. And I, I dumped a bunch of sow and heat gel and then two days later come back and there's three boars on it. You know, tell me that's not why they're, they're, they're there. You know, I mean, it's early, sure, but I know that you know you know that they know that those sows are going to start coming in heat soon, and uh, I don't know. I just at the very worst, it makes me feel it makes me feel good. At the very best, that's it's just been too many times that that that's you know using that sow and heat stuff has 
lined up with big boars showing up like within a day or two. Yep. You know, I, I'm a firm believer, you know, like I know once they get the, like you said, the plug out and, and feed, that's their main objective is rut. Um, that's what they're looking for is sows. And, and once that transition goes from the, the food right off the bat into rut, then we'll start, then I start hunting like beach lines and start yeah. hunting, you know, like logging roads, even clear cuts, because you'll find these travel corridors where these bears start moving. And, and if that's something you're into too, you know, like a spot and stock, that's a great opportunity. It's when those bears are cruising the road systems here. Cause you can just drive, you can rent a car, you can drive the entire road system and you will see black bears like everywhere. Uh, yeah. You know, might not be big, you know, giant one every time, but you will see black bears. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, well, and, and you killed you killed your another big one on the beach this spring, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was a great hunt. That was uh, that was wild. That was a adventure hunt for me. Um, I, you know, Mark Boardman from yeah, Bortex, yeah. he he's been putting in for a few years to draw this tag, and um, he he finally drew. And a couple of good buddies that one guy lives in Craig, Rob Ensley, um, he drew, and his friend Chris Daniel drew. And we all decided to kind of team up and, and head to a real remote part of the island that I've never been to, but I've always wanted to go. And, uh, man, there's a, we went there. It was everything that I imagined and more. There was a ton of bears. These guys, I think we camped for three nights and they all shot three nice bears, spot and stock on the nice. beach with guns. You know, I, I was the primary film guy on this. Yeah. Hunt. We were actually, um, testing out some new binoculars from Vortex that just came out, those new HD uh, binoculars. So yeah. they're amazing, shameless plug. But we were kind of doing some photography for that and, and hunting bears at the same time. They killed three bears. We got them all skinned out. I brought my bow along, but I told them that, you know, and once they filled their tags and it had to be a slob bear for me to even kind of want to go after it, uh, I was, you know, unless we've yeah. seen that on the way home, uh, from the real remote spot, there's bears everywhere. Uh, we end up spotting a nice bear on the beach. And I honestly wasn't really that into it. It's kind of funny to even say that they, I was like, Oh, there's another bear. Cause we've seen like a hundred on the trip. I was yeah. like, Oh, there's another one eating on the beach. And we kind of looked at it and, uh, what was real difficult in this area we were is that they were all big, nice bears. They were all six to seven foot mature boars we were seeing on the beach. So it was real hard to judge the size. They were yeah. all kind of cookie cu cookie cutter, we were calling them. Well, I saw this bear, and I'm like, man, it's a nice bear. It's about like all the rest we've been seeing, you know, nothing like a stupid shooter boar. You know, we saw three of those in three days on this trip, like yep. Boone and Crockett, giant seven, eight-foot boars, huge, and we didn't get any of them, you know, like yeah. they were already onto us. But on the way home, we saw that. Mark talked me into, you know, making a stock on that thing and told me he would run the camera. And it was back in this little tidal estuary, kind of secluded a lagoon. And and sure enough, we snuck right around the beach on him, and the wind was just perfect. It was actually kind of a stiff wind, probably like a, a 15 mile an hour wind. Yeah. So it was real good, and, and you know you could tell exactly what it was doing. And, and I and I looked at the bear, and he's filming, and I even said, "Oh man, that's a nice bear. Like I'm gonna arrow this bear if I can get close to him." And, and he was flipping crabs. You know, yeah. where I hunt bears, they're eating grass. Where we hunted on this part of the island they were eating crabs wow and he was just flipping rock after rock on the beach and just didn't really care about anything so every time you would flip a rock and start chewing i told mark hey let's you know let's cover some ground let's get a closer sure enough man we we covered it to like i think 
60 or 70 yards. And I was like, man, let's just set up right here. I was like, this bear is facing us. He's going to keep walking this way. And I kind of was excited for what was going to happen. You know, there's a bunch of scenarios I was playing in my mind and yeah. And that bear kept feeding all the way up. And man, sure enough, I looked over at Mark and was like thinking we gave him the look like this is going to happen, yeah. dude. <laughs> and, uh, that bear came in and he flipped up a piece of uh driftwood right in front of me. And it was kind of cool. Cause I, I got it on film. I'll show you the film sometime. And, and he flips it up and it has made this cool hollow thumping sound, uh, dry piece of driftwood. And then he steps off the log and right then he knew something wasn't right with us. And by then we were 23 yards or something from him right then. And he starts to turn to do what bears do. Sometimes they'll size judge each other up and they'll do like a standoff with each other. And they'll, and he kind of turned, started turning sideways and I started and I drew on him and I'm thinking, okay, there it is, you know, 20 yard shot. And then he, and he sees me draw on and then he turns and steps like two more steps facing me. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I turned down a big giant shot on a boar on a bait a few years ago. A tw- uh, it was a 21 inch boar. I know it for a fact now, but I didn't take the shot because I was facing, he was facing me and he took off off the bait and he never came back and yeah. I never saw him again. So I told myself, man, if I ever get one of those good shots right there, I'm going to, you know, I practice enough. I'm going to take that thing. And sure enough, dude, I let that thing rip and it buried up the fletchings right in him and he took off into the Southeast jungle and, yeah. uh, <laughs> we, uh, I looked at Mark like, Holy cow, can you believe that happened? And we looked over in the ocean and our friends, Chris and Rob were still in the big boat sitting in the ocean, anchored up, waiting, watching from the boat, yeah. probably 300 <laughs> yards off. And we took the little Zodiac raft, um, called bear force one. We called it that trip, yeah. uh, hauled some bears out and ended up killing that bear. And we blood trailed him in the trees and, um, end up honestly, I mean, tell you the truth, I ended up jumping him, didn't give him enough time. He was laying down, um, almost dead. He jumped up and didn't have much in him. I ended up putting out a second arrow in him. Um, I don't feel good about it, but it was what I had to do. You didn't hear about one of my bears this year, so that would make you <laughs> yeah, feel a it, lot better. <laughs> it doesn't go as planned always, no. but um, we got him and yeah, it was cool. It was a good trip. It was a hundred percent. We got back four guys, four bears and and I think four total days of, you know, two travel days and two days of hunting. That's not, so, that yeah. isn't anything to shake a stick at there, man. That's awesome. Nope. And the country you're in is just, I mean, I'll say it, say it again. You just look around and even if none of us would have got bears, I don't even think we would have been that bummed. It was, you know, we were crabbing, fishing. I mean, it's just, it's Southeast Alaska. You have to see it to, you know, really get a feel for Oh yeah, what I'm talking about, but when you do you'll you'll understand (laughs) yeah totally definitely i mean uh just blows my mind because it's i think it's like i said it's a little bit kind of like what i'd experienced around a fog knack and stuff but even to the next level where it's uh let's go cat you know you want to catch some crabs or go bear hunting or go fishing or shrimping or what yeah there's actually not enough time to really do what you want you know you kind of just got to plan for what you want to do most and yeah you know primary was was taking bears so that's what we did it was a it's a good time because they there's a ton of bears on the island and like we said about the wolves and the deer um there's a ton of predators on the island and the deer have just you know took us a little hit in the last few years even from what i've known on prince wells and i haven't been here a long time but there's definitely a you know short amount of deer i'm not saying there's no deer but there's definitely you know less deer but it's on a downward swing i think with some good predator management they're up in the bear tags and they're going to have a full wolf season this year 
Yeah, um, that's there's some, some good trappers on the island, some really good trappers. So they're gonna well, get that, after it. And, that's one thing I noticed, um, at least following loosely following along the past couple of years, they've they've had like a wolf quota that they shut the season down after like a couple hundred of them, and weren't they filling the quota like in a couple weeks? Yeah, they actually like dropped the quota down to like less than 100. I want to say it was like less than 50, and it was met in the first two weeks, and then they dropped it down to less than that, and um, it was met, you know, within days. It's just, you know, goes to sh- it just screams the base population is just, you know, is that a, federal, a lot more than what they thought. So. Is that a federal thing or a state thing? Because that's kind of not not typical how the state. I think it, it, I think it's federal. It's like a yeah. you know emergency order. They were saying it was a different species and they don't swim, but which is um, bullshit. <laughs> they, they, these wolves swim. Trust me, I've seen them take down deer in the ocean. That's one thing I'm very lucky to to work at some remote wild spots. And I have seen some wolves take down some deer and I've seen wolves take down goats. And I've had a wolf take my deer last year on the Island. I mean, Jeez. I shot this sick. I, I called in a nice sick of black tail buck during November shot the, you know, deer, uh, with my bow, a little lower hit, blood trailed him down into a Creek and lost a blood trail right at the Creek and couldn't figure out where he crossed. So I came back the next morning at daylight to pick up the blood trail and I could hear birds already. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man, they're already on this deer, you know? So I followed the the bird sounds literally all the way to where this carcass was. And the deer probably made it a hundred yards or so a lot further than I thought over the Creek. But I end up coming up to the bird pile, they fly off and there's just this skin of a deer. And I'm, I'm talking, I've got it on film. It's just this Cape and it's just the antlers and the front part of the skull and the cape with every piece of bone, everything off of it. Jeez. It was so taken care of that I thought that my first thought was somebody found my deer and caped it out and literally like took the carcass out of the cape and just peeled it off. Huh. But what, and uh, right then I'm filming it and I'm talking to, into the film saying, you know, what happened? What's going on? And, and uh, I set my camera down and I, and I got my bow and right then I hear something behind me and these three wolves come running down right behind me in this open muskeg. And, um, I turn around to spook them at the same time we startle each other. And they're like 10 yards from me. Oh man. And like two of the ones in the back go left to right, take off, you know, and the big one, I guess was maybe the alpha, the bigger one in the front, um, just kind of scurried to the left a little bit and stayed right there in the buck brush and was looking at me. Well, as I was looking at me, I grabbed my bow and, tried to get a shot through the trees at it like i had no shot it was just looking yeah. into the bushes but i was hoping that it would come out in the opening because it was curious and and they didn't it just took off but then what they did do is proceed to howl around me for the next two hours all around me like they i really disrupted what they were doing and what had happened is i found deer hide about 15 yards from where the actual carcass was found and oh. they had devoured that entire deer in one night Wow. Nothing left of it, and uh, it, nothing, nothing. So it was just kind of a crazy experience, you know. Last this is about two years ago now. Yeah, man. But yeah, you it, it just blows my mind. I mean, you put there's such a wolves are such a resilient animal, and you you slap a bunch of super predators on there with with sick of blacktails running around. I mean, it's they're going to take a hit for sure. Yeah, they do too. You know, there's a lot of hunting pressure. There's lots of black bears. You know that. You know how good a bear's nose in. Tell me oh, they can't yeah. uh, smell a you know fawn from oh for sure you know, miles away. So I mean, it's just well, it, the, everything's tough on them. And I know with moose, you know, with moose, even black bears, 
black bears and grizzly bears they can they can smell when those cows are about to drop calves i'm sure it's the same way you know they start bleeding and and whatnot you know i'm sure bears are just as are just as hard on blacktails when they're when they're fawning you know as they are in moose calves but yeah yeah, they do that's (laughs) very hard on them but yeah i guess you you know i don't know everyone likes to likes to paint us sometimes as being anti-predator but you know yeah i want to i want to hunt them too so i want to have some of them around or or trap them or whatever the particular animal is you know so it's all it's all just a balance yep but well man anyway i uh i probably better get running but i appreciate appreciate you appreciate you getting taking the time to do it and and putting up with my my technical malfunctions (laughs) Oh, no problem. I live on Prince of Wales. I'm used to everything malfunctioning digitally. It takes me a full day to upload photos to companies. So yeah, <laughs> totally understandable. Yeah, it's uh, kind of we're we're not totally out of out of civilization, but sitting on the fringes a little bit. But uh, yeah, man, it's been real nice to catch up with you. I know we've been trying to trying to line line this up for quite a while, and uh, we'll have to next time we'll have to make sure it's not it's not quite as long. Um, what stuff do you got going, uh, going this fall? You know, I just got some deer hunts right around home. I'm going to help out with some goat tags. Um, you know, I really want to kill a big mature sick of black tail with my bow. And I missed it. I've missed two really nice bucks two years in a row now, which is crazy to even say, <laughs> but, uh, it's got me driven now to where that's my goals this year is, is to kill a really nice buck with my bow during November. So. Yeah, that's what I have going on. Nice, that's awesome, man. Um, people want to check out your your photos or work or anything like that. Where can they find you? Yeah, they can go to AK Mountain Bound on Instagram or Jesse Knock on Facebook. Um, I do have a website. Uh, going to be up and running here real soon. It's going to be mountainbound.net. And what that's going to do is uh, it's your ticket to Alaska. What I'm going to do is just do. It's going to be some films, some photos, of Alaska. But what I'm going to do is just tell people what kind of gear they need and tailor you know hunts for alaska just kind of just help the fellow hunter out you know there's gonna be some articles some gear list um backpack weight list just some different things for people just to kind of get a an edge before they come up here on doing a type of alaska hunt um i'm a firm believer in hunters helping hunters uh don't hesitate to to send me a post message if you have any questions about alaska i love that um, I think that's one of the biggest things about social media now is that people can help people, and I've benefited from it greatly um, through all the negative, bad rap that it gets. I have some of the greatest relationships with friends that I have, and some of the best opportunities I've ever gotten was from social media. So, yeah. um, you know, well, that's just, how you and I linked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's it's perfect. So, yeah. you know, that's what the website is going to be tailored to. It's just helping people out you know so i hope that gets up and running soon and be releasing some films on it working on a bear film right now kind of the pinnacle of my bear hunting stuff so everything i do i pretty much film so i have a ton of footage i just got to get around to doing something with it so yeah you should man so i'm looking forward to seeing that but all right man well uh thanks again and uh we'll talk to you soon so thanks for having me, Tyler. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no problem, man. And uh, if you uh, enjoy Tundra Talk, you can uh, leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. That would be awesome. And if you have any questions, um, you can email podcast at tundratalkak.com. And if you want to support the podcast, 
Um, you can do so on uh, patreon.com slash Thank you.